This is lesson 68 in our look at Matthew. We're in chapter 23. And this week we're going to start to look at the woes that Yeshua speaks against the Pharisees. And I want to start by saying that we in our look at these statements, we certainly don't want to make the same mistake that most of the churches made through the centuries. We don't want to take this as a blanket statement against the Pharisees or the Jewish people or Yeshua trying to vilify the Pharisees. Much of what Yeshua is going to speak against in these statements, other Pharisees and later rabbis have also spoken against. We're not going to focus on the Pharisees. We need not to focus on the Pharisees, but we need to focus on the behaviors that Yeshua is criticizing. And I'm going to try and point those out over the next few weeks. Yeshua is not taking every Pharisee to task, but some Pharisees to task. And more accurately, like I said, the behaviors that characterize their lives. And I'm going to try and show this in the weeks to come. One of the ways we know that Yeshua is not uh, criticizing all Pharisees is that Shaul himself calls himself a Pharisee. He says, I am a Pharisee. Not I was a Pharisee, but I am a Pharisee. If Yeshua's polemic was against the Pharisees, I'm sure Shaul would not have counted himself among those that Yeshua condemns. Second, if we look to John in chapter 3, and we're going to spend a lot of time there today, but if we look at John chapter 3, in verse 1 it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he also became a disciple. He was one who took Yeshua's body, prepared it, and he even supplied the tomb. So we truly err when we think of Yeshua's statements as a condemnation of all Judaism of his day. Because I can tell you this, much of what Yeshua taught, you can find parallels to and almost same teachings in the rabbinic writings as well. I also want to qualify this by saying I don't think that Yeshua was a Pharisee either, as some teach, as some have taught. But I say you can find many of the teachings and in the writings of the Pharisees because there were Pharisees who were sincere and close to the truth. Not only that, but if we take the focus off the Pharisees and look at the problems he addresses, we can find many Pharisee-like leaders in our churches of today. So... What is it that, what is this condemnation of the Pharisees that he says, woe to you? Well, let's read these things and see if we can find some things that are useful for our lives. Because if the Bible isn't useful for your life, if it doesn't change your life, then you read in vain. So let's look at these first two statements today. In verse 13, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter nor will you let those who are trying to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as you are. So we should understand that the first century Judaism was much different than it is today. And one of those differences was that in the first century, Judaism was outreach-oriented. And the Judaism of today, not so much. If you go to a synagogue, they're going to be nice to you. They'll tr take you in. And if you want to become part of the synagogue and the Jewish people, they have a process for you to become part. 
But they're not actually traveling over, they're not exactly traveling over land and sea any longer. In the first century, they did more actively seek proselytes. And that's a good thing, right? I mean, after all, Israel's call was to share the light of God to those around them. And so in response to this call, they were, in the first century, trying to proselytize the nations around them. However, Yeshua in his statements to the Pharisees says this proselytizing they were doing was not good. And we're going to find out why it wasn't good today. If we want to understand this, we really have to look at proselytizing and what they were doing. Because that's what Yeshua is condemning. And first we have to understand that in this time they thought the only way for a man to be saved, to be part of the world to come, was to be part of Israel. And we can look at some of the verses that they thought showed this. One of those is Isaiah 45, verse 17. It says, But Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced to the ages everlasting. So they saw God had promised Israel will be saved. And if you look in the Talmud, it actually teaches that all Israel has a share in the world to come. And they support this by Isaiah 60, verse 21. It says, And thy people are all of them righteous. To the age they possess the earth, a branch of my planting, a work of my hands to be beautiful. And so they look at this and they said, All Israel has a share in the world to come. All Israel will be saved. And guess what? They weren't wrong because Shaul tells us the very same thing in Romans. The difference being he chooses the right verse to substantiate Israel being saved as he chooses the verse that gives credit to the one who will bring this all about. He quotes a different passage, Isaiah 59. Listen to what Romans 11 verse 25 says. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take their sins away. And so Shaul, he quotes Isaiah 59. And then he completes the thought in verse 17 as he says this. If some of the branches were broken off, you though being a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not boast over the branches if you do. Consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. And so here's the deal. Both Shaul and the Pharisees are on the same track to make disciples. However, where they differ is in their methodology. How they go about making proselytes. That's what's different. The Pharisees looked at the promise that all Israel will be saved and said it was through their birth and their national identity of Israel. And because of that national identity, they were all righteous. And the other thing they looked at was their Torah observance. And they, even though they knew Israel's Torah observance was not always what it should be, they were still declared righteous by God through their national identity. And so they said to those from the nations around them, if you want to share in the world to come, if you want to be a part of the promises of God, then you have to become part of the nation of Israel. 
And again, all of that is correct. But the problem is how you become part of the nation of Israel. Shaul in Romans tells us that it's through faith in the Messiah Yeshua. The Pharisees taught that you had to learn Torah, you had to learn the customs of Israel, those very burdens that Yeshua rebuked in the last few weeks that we looked at, and then you had to do something else, and we'll read what you have to do from the Jewish Encyclopedia. The details of the act of reception into the nation of Israel seem not to have been settled definitely before the second Christian century. From the law that the proselyte and native Israelite should be treated alike, in Numbers, the inference was that, circum, that, was that drawn that circumcision and a bath of purification and sacrifice were prerequisites for conversion. So here's what the Pharisees taught. That one desiring a place in the world to come, one desiring to be part of the nation of Israel was to learn the traditional teachings regarding the keeping of the commands of God as one from the nation of Israel had done from birth. After learning those things, you would become circumcised to become part of the covenant and then you would go through the waters of immersion at which time it was said that you were born again this time into the nation of Israel. And finally, then you would offer a sacrifice. This made you part of the nation of Israel, gave, according to the rabbis, gave you a share in the world to come or the kingdom of God. And to this process, Yeshua says, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as you are. Now, why would Yeshua say that? Because for me... It doesn't seem like a bad plan at first glance, right? It doesn't seem like a bad plan at first glance. Getting people to live by God's Torah, becoming part of the nation of Israel, I mean, that was their call, right? Well, the problem comes in when you look at the focus. It was not on God, on relationship with the king, not on building the spiritual man, but the focus was upon becoming part of the natural nation of Israel, coming part of the nation of Israel in the flesh. The result was once completed, you completed the process, then you were in. Part of the kingdom, you, you were part of the kingdom, job done. Well, once you're in to something, it's the nature of our humanity that we cease to develop. We cease to seek after God because we're in, we're part of it, right? I want you to think back to the time in which you were saved. Think of the problems that you had in your life and how Yeshua took the burden of that and how grateful you were to Yeshua for what he had done for you. If you were like me, you started to pray, you started to seek God, you wanted to please the one who had done this marvelous thing for you. You studied the word of God to learn how to please him. And that's more than likely why you're here today because you still want to do those things. Well, think about some others. Let's think about some of the faiths that say immerse children at birth. For example, those who teach that once you immerse your child at birth, he'll be saved, he'll be part of the kingdom of heaven. Or those who teach that once you're saved, once you say the sinner's prayer, you're saved, and that salvation can never be taken from you because you've said that sinner's prayer. Well, if you look at these people who think that because they were immersed as a baby and sprinkled and they're now saved, 
the desire for that relationship, the gratitude for what the Lord has done for you in their life by saving you from your sin really isn't there anymore. The desire to learn what pleases God is not there because God has accepted you no matter what they do from the sprinkling on forward. Well, the same is true of these proselytes. Yeshua says to that proselyte, you, you, that, that whole process, he says, you make him twice as much of a son of Gehenna as you are. The focus on, is on the process, doing this, doing that, keeping this, keeping that, and not on the God of Abraham and faith in the Redeemer that he was to send. Now, I looked in the Talmud for an occurrence of this son of Gehenna, and I found one, and I'm just going to read it for you. Gehenna will be consumed, but they will not be consumed, as it says, and their form shall wear away the nether world. Why all this? Because they laid hands on the habitation, as it is said, that there be no habitation for him. And but signifies the temple, as it is said, I have surely built you a house of habitation. Of them, Hannah said, they that strive with the Lord shall be broken to pieces. And their faces shall be black like the sides of a pot. Rabbah added, among them are the most handsome of inhabitants of Mehuzah, and they shall be called the sons of Gehenna. And so what I want you to see, this is kind of a confusing passage, but what I want you to see, I'll boil it down to you, is what they're seeing. There's no hope of the sons of Gehenna ever entering the kingdom of heaven because they're the ones who have shut the doors Mahuza refers to a city in Babylon, and we all know what's going to happen to Babylon. These sons of Gehenna, in other words, are unredeemable. And Yeshua is saying that they have taken the proselyte and made him into one without hope, just as they are. You see, we're not saved to become complacent with God. We're saved to be, develop relationship with God. It's not enough to be called part of the nation of Israel in the flesh to go through some man-made process, be it circumcision and immersion with Judaism. It's not enough to be sprinkled as a baby or to have a once-in-a-upon-a-time once sinner's prayer said, as with a lot of Christians. It's not enough for those people to inherit the kingdom of heaven. They are the ones who are going to hear Yeshua say, I never knew you. And we could just as easily, Yeshua could have just as easily said, you never knew me. Right? What counts is a life of loving God, a life of serving God, coming to know God. And just as with sprinkling a baby and the baby is saved is a lie, so too is saying, circumcise yourself, immerse yourself, and live as we Jews live, and you'll have a share in the world to come. That is also a lie. It's not true. With all of that said, I want to talk about some, something that happened just recently. Some of you may have gone to see a Jewish fellow who was in town named Paul Sherbo. Well, Paul Sherbo... He was in town for a few days and he taught, people called me all of, about what he was teaching, he taught, and as others teach, that the Jewish people, particularly the Orthodox Jewish people, don't really need Messiah because of their national identity and they're keeping Torah and the customs. 
That because and because of the traditions and the in the heritage of their fathers, they have a share in the world to come. Well, let me say that's an outright lie. And not only that teaching has permeated some of the Christian faith as well, and there's messianics teaching that. That right standing with God can be gained through Torah observance and birthright. And that's exactly what Yeshua is saying to the Pharisees. Woe to you for. Woe to you because you're teaching the Gentiles this. Let me say the way I read my Bible. It is never said or implied in scripture. Think of this. These men he's speaking to are meticulous Torah keepers. And they're out teaching other Gentiles in the same way to be meticulous Torah keepers. And what does Yeshua call them? Sons of Gehenna. You know, I really wasn't surprised when this Paul Sherbo came to town with this teaching and, and that he came to town at the same time we're trying to get people to go out and witness to Jewish people. It only makes sense that the adversary would send somebody like that, right? But I'm going to show you today just how wrong these people are. And just exactly what Yeshua is speaking about. Because Yeshua, knowing the future, and knowing that this lie had permeated the hearts of men in his day, will address this very issue to the man we looked at earlier, Nicodemus. Let's go to John chapter 3 and verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Yeshua at night and said, Rabbi, we know... You are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Yeshua declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, the things I want you to see from this verse are several. First, I underline some things. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the ruling council. He's a righteous man, a Pharisee. And this member of the ruling council says, we know, we know you are a teacher from God. Who knows? Well, we must infer that the Jewish ruling council knows that Yeshua is a man from God. And I want you to keep that on a back burner for the weeks to come because it shows that the Sanhedrin knew they were putting to death not a rebel, but someone who was from God. But look at what Yeshua says to this righteous Pharisee, this true Israelite. He says, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. Who's no one? No one, right? Now, the really wonderful thing about this passage, is it addresses this very thing that we just spoke of. Listen to Nicodemus' reply in verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, how is a man able to be born being old? Is he able to enter the womb of his mother a second time to enter and to be born? You see, he's reflecting Jewish thought of the day and the terrible teaching that we just spoke of. Nicodemus says, in effect, listen, I'm an Israelite. I'm born into the covenant, circumcised on the eighth day. I'm part of the Sanhedrin. I keep Torah as a good Jew. How am I, part of Israel, an Israelite, to enter my mother's womb again? And Yeshua gives the answer and the reason for his rebuke of the Pharisees above. He says this, Verily, verily, I say to thee, 
If anyone may not be born of the water and of spirit, he is not able to enter to the reign of God. That which hath been born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, the Pharisees have earned the rebuke of Yeshua for making Gentiles Israelites in the flesh. And the church will certainly earn, some of the church will certainly earn the same rebuke for making disciples of Yeshua in the flesh. Because nothing of the flesh is going to survive. Nicodemus is so thrown by this that he says this in verse 9. How can this be? How can this be? He says, how can this be? Because in his mind, all Israel is going to be saved, just as Isaiah 60 tells us. I was born into this covenant. I keep the law and the teachings of our fathers. So how can this be? Well, Yeshua tells him, verse 10. He says, you're Israel's teacher. And you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you about earthly things and you do not believe. How then you will believe when I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now you see the problem with, in the rebuke of the Pharisees. The problem is those, those who sit in Moses' seat, the teachers of Israel, don't understand that it's not birthright, but it's rebirthright. And it's relationship with God. And if they don't understand, then when they go out to the nations and teach others, what they teach is misunderstanding. And Yeshua says to this righteous Jew, unless you lift up the Son of Man, just as Moses lifted up the stake in the wilderness, you will not be saved. And all who looked on that snake in the wilderness were saved from death. And unless you lift up the Son of Man so that the people of Israel can look upon him, the result is going to be the same. They will die. Because everyone born must look to the Son of Man to be reborn to have a share in the world to come. That's how you inherit the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 16, he goes on to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Yeshua tells Nicodemus that the Father didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world. Far be it, the world is already condemned. He sent his Son to save the world. Your Torah observance your birthright means nothing. And yes, Isaiah says all Israel has a share in the world to come. But when you read Isaiah, you shouldn't start in verse 60. You should have moved up to 59, where Shaul started. Let's read it from there in verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion 
to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you, my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of the descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. And then verse 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. That light is Yeshua. Israel has a share in the world to come only because the Redeemer came to Zion and to those who repent of their sins. Or we could say their flesh because that's the seed of all sin. He's come only to those who will look upon the Son of Man, who will look upon Yeshua. And so then he goes on in verse 19, he says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what he has done has been done through God. Nicodemus did come into the light. He lifted up Messiah. He took his body when the Sanhedrin Uh, sentenced him to death and he died he took his body he wrapped it and he buried it the rest of the jewish ruling council uh, not so much but my point is this and it's the same point that shaul will make over and over torah observance without messiah is nothing you can't earn your way to the kingdom of heaven because there's only one way it's messiah he's the way the truth and the life right on the other hand Because as Tevye taught us, there's always another hand, right? On the other hand, if you think you know Messiah and you're following Messiah and that following has led you away from the word of God and keeping the commands of God, you may want to examine what Messiah you think you know. Because as the beloved apostle John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You see, the love of Messiah should lead you to do things that God has asked you to do in his law. And if you're not doing those things that he has given you in his law, then you might want to examine if you truly are born again. If Messiah, if, and if the Messiah you think you know is in fact really the Messiah of God and the Bible. And so Yeshua says to the Pharisees who are teaching that you need to become part of the nation of Israel and are reborn into the nation of Israel and the world to come through your acceptance of Torah, living as we live, circumcising yourselves and offering the offering, he says, you failed to enter the kingdom of heaven because you've rejected me, the way, the truth, and the life. And because you teach this, you shut the door in other men's faces as well. Israel's salvation is not based on a national covenant because if you look at the covenants to the Jewish people, none exist that offer the world to come. 
Israel's salvation is incumbent upon their acceptance of a new covenant. And the Lord speaks of it in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Let's just briefly go over it. A time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Jeremiah tells us that keeping the covenant, no matter how many additions you make to it, or how stringent you make it, or how stringently you observe it, it's not enough because it's been broken. You will fall short because it was broken. Well, that's the same thing Yeshua is saying. It. Your keeping of the covenant has fallen short. Your focus on keeping the Torah in the flesh that gives you entrance into the kingdom is not good enough. Now listen to what Jeremiah says. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbor or man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me. From the least to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. The covenant that God wants the covenant that will see you into the world to come is the one that's only available through relationship with the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah Yeshua. As the text says, you must know the Lord. It's a prerequisite for the world to come. Knowing the Holy One of Israel, it's not enough to know about Him. It's not enough to know about Him. The demons know about Him. It's not enough to know about him. Those who just know about him are going to come to him on that day and they're going to be the ones who say, Depart from me. I never knew you. It's not enough to know about him. You have to know the Holy One of Israel to be part of the new covenant. Verse 27 of Matthew 11 says this. All things have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And now listen to what Yeshua says about not knowing Him. Matthew 10 and verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Folks, there's only one way of salvation and that is to accept the redemption that is secured through Messiah Yeshua. There's only one way, one truth, and one life, and one way to secure it, and that's through faith in the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah Yeshua, Amen. the way, the truth, and the life. Amen?